You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 167. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. You have reached another Local Maximum. Uh, I'm your host, Max, as always, of course, and recording today from Salem, New Hampshire. I don't know why I said that today. I usually don't talk about where I'm recording from, but I did today anyway. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about, we're going to talk a lot about blockchain. Now don't turn this off, don't turn this off, don't roll your eyes. I know a lot of you are saying blockchain, not Bitcoin. Uh, those people who are saying blockchain, not Bitcoin. And then some of you are saying, what? So we're not talking about, you know, getting rich and Bitcoin going to the moon and buying Lambos. And no, we're not doing that today. But look, uh, <laughs> there is a bit of a debate over this new innovation called blockchain, which is essentially a decentralized database that uh, can't be tampered with or very difficult to tamper with. And it's like, okay, what are the implications of this technology? What does this mean for the world? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for the future of the internet? What does this mean for the future of finance? So we're gonna cover some of that today. We're gonna start with uh, a guest who is Sebastian, is the founder of uh, of, of WordProof, which is all about time stamping, and I'll get to that in a second. And then after that, we're, I'm going to discuss a little bit about something that's been called DeFi, decentralized finance. You might have heard of that buzzword uh, before being thrown around on Twitter or whatever, but what is decentralized finance really? Is it, uh, you know, is it something that, that I should care about? Uh, what, what does it mean for for me, is it something that I should use? Or is it something that's going to change the world? Or is it just, you know, a, another thing that's being hyped in the blockchain space? Well, I'm going to get to all that. So you're going to understand those issues a little better after listening to this episode. So first of all, let's, uh, let's start with the WordProof stuff. So I, I don't know if you have ever felt you've been tricked by fake news. Now, I know that uh, a lot of us tend to laugh at, you know, maybe some of our older relatives who have shared news stories but ended up being fake uh, or have commented on news stories too soon. But have you ever done it yourself? Mm, maybe I have once or twice. I'm not so sure. But uh, look, uh, you know, th there, there are a lot of things like, hey, this person said this in 2012 and, you know, there's a screenshot of something they said on Twitter and then it turned out that they never said that. It's just made up to prove a point. And so, well, it's really horrible to do that to someone, first of all, but that's kind of, it's, it's, it's fake news. It's either it's defamation or it's, it's libel or I don't know all the terms, but it's one of those things. So we, we also get that in the prediction racket all the time. We get people who say, you know, hey, I predicted it. I said X, Y, and Z back in 2010, and then it happened. So look at me. Everyone's got to trust me. I mean, well, first of all, <laughs> just because you get one thing right. But uh, aside from that, what did you really say? in 2010 is a really important question. And can you prove it? Because a lot of these things are created after the fact. You know, a lot of these kind of, um, you know, when you get deep into the internet and you get into that ancient alien stuff and prophecy and, you know, this uh, said, I, I'm into that stuff, don't ask me why. But a lot of these things, oftentimes it, it turns out that the prophecies were written after the event that they're talking about. So of course they were right. So how can you prove that something was said at a given time. We can get a notary to do that. Uh, but blockchain gives a very 
cheap and uh, inexpensive and efficient way to timestamp something. So let's, uh, so, you know, WordProof is a company that is, uh, you know, in that space and trying to see, okay, can we use that to make, you know, the internet more, uh, you know, <laughs> more, uh, more correct is not the type worm, uh, not, not, not the, uh, not, not the right word. Oh, well, yeah, it is, is, is the right word. It's just grammatically awkward. But can we use timestamping uh, to tackle the fake news problem or to tackle the prediction problem or to just hold people up to higher standards about what they say and what they said they said or what they said someone else said? So, again, uh, afterwards, I'm going to talk about decentralized finance, so stick around for that. Uh, it's, it's a big term, and you're going to learn all the main points you need to know about it. But first, we're going to turn to my next guest. My next guest is based in Amsterdam and founded WordProof, and they are building timestamp products to bring trustworthiness to the internet. Sebastian Vanderlands, you've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Pleasure to be here. So uh, tell me about what you do. What's your, uh, what's your role? What is WordProof? I fight for more trust on the internet. The, 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 the basic question I ask myself after working with open source software for 15 years is what if you can simply trust all information on the internet? And we apply blockchain technology to make transparency and accountability, the connection of those two made trust, part of the base layer of the internet. Okay, so... Man, trust all information on the internet? That sounds kind of insane to me. <laughs> it's almost the opposite of what you expect, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not all information on the internet. There are use cases where trust is no issue. There's entertainment. There's, 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 there's certain places where trust isn't necessary. But for news outlets, for example, we think that we deserve an internet where you can see how information changed over time and who's the sender of information. So for all information that matters in a few years from now, if it hasn't been timestamped, if you can't see where it comes from and how it changed over time, it will be considered a fraud. What are you hiding? That's the shift we want to make on the internet. So let, let's, uh, let's back up a little bit here and talk about you know, timestamping because it sounds like you know, that's your strategy. Uh, what, what type of misinformation or fake news or you know whatever you want to call it can be solved by timestamping? And maybe tell people a little bit about who aren't familiar with timestamping. I mean, obviously it's you know slapping a date on it, but tell people a little bit about how <laughs> how that works. You know, it's a little bit more than slapping a date on it. <laughs> For sure. So Many have heard of the blockchain technology because of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is booming and uh, the white paper of Bitcoin was published in 2008. Blockchain wasn't invented for uh, Bitcoin. Blockchain was invented 30 years and two months ago for timestamping documents. What is a timestamp? It's a unique fingerprint of a piece of information. You put that in a transaction and from that moment you can prove that the certain information existed at a specific moment in time. Blockchain was invented for that 30 years ago. What we do is bringing that use case to um, all information that matters, which eventually could solve misinformation on the internet. Because 
for the first time in history, it's possible in an open source way to verify, firstly, if there has been tampered with information, but secondly, an identity can be connected to the information. So a sender could truly in an open source way connect their identity to that information. And what you can then do is working together with search engines, working together with policymakers. All information must be able to be published on the internet. But what happens today on social media, for example, is anonymous information where, where no sender takes accountability for it can go viral. And what we work on with policymakers, with the social media platforms is there's always freedom of speech. Anything can be published, but not necessarily freedom of reach. There must be taken a certain amount of accountability before information can go viral, which is not dependency for all trouble on the internet, but at least for uh, the anonymous part. But what about like people who, um, you know, just want to make funny memes or something like that? Like where, like how, and, and then of course you have some memes that are jokes. You have some that are jokes that are then taken as, in, as misinformation and interpreted that way. And then there are some that are, are literally meant to spread misinformation. So, I mean, it, it feels like, Timestamping doesn't really help in in those instances, or or does it? Um, the, the the question is, what type of information will you spread? So yeah, I can yeah. imagine a world where memes, for the sake of entertainment or maybe even satire, yeah, should be able to go viral. That can happen in two ways. Firstly, the sender can take accountability. I made this thing, uh, but secondly, you can say, hey, there must be a category for this is not for the purpose of information. This is for the purpose of entertainment. So we foresee a way to label all information on the internet and infrastructure. So um, an important thing is timestamping is technology, but there's a language that search engines speak. There's a language that social media platforms speak and that's schema.org, structured data. Via structured data, you can tell a search engine that Max is not just a word, but it's your first name. Um, right. So what we are working on together with people from the search engine space is making sure that the timestamps are part of the language that search engines and social media understand. Those who find that important can filter based on that information. So let's, um, I could try to come up with one, but let's, maybe you could give us an example where like timestamping is like dead on, like this is, this, this is an example where the problem would totally be solved by, by timestamping. There, there, there are many, but one of them in e-commerce could be, for example, terms and conditions. Often it happens that you buy a product, product breaks, then you go back to the merchant and the merchant says, yeah, sorry, we have a different uh, sort of terms and conditions now. This is um, so we can't help you. With a timestamp, you're not, as a consumer, you're not reliant on the willingness of the merchant to help you because you can prove what the terms and conditions were at the moment of buying. That's the use case. Another one is revisionism in news. So mm. you can keep track of changes in, um, in, in news and therefore see how information changed over time. Um, journalists can choose to make no it, it's kind of version control like you have uh version control on git 
as a developer, we bring right. that to news, to information that matters. So, uh, so if, yeah. if you, if you want to say that, you know, someone was, uh, uh, saying something in the past that, uh, maybe they're pretending they never said, or if somebody is saying that someone said something that they, they didn't say. Exactly. So, um, if you take that one step further, for example, fraud on advertising saying, Hey, this person bought bitcoins is really rich. And there are all sorts of scams via, uh, advertised right. and on social media platforms. What you can do is say, Hey, all videos or information can be shared on the internet, but before you advertise it, uh, the person in the video must put their timestamp on it. So, um, you, you, before information can get amplified, um, the, the people in the video must take accountability, must say, Hey, it's really me. And I approve this information to be advertised or go viral. Right. But so it, it, it it doesn't necessarily help though if the information is kind of false to begin with. Like I could just timestamp something. I guess like it's like I could timestamp something just because I timestamp it doesn't make it true. It's like it's just it's still a claim. You yeah, sure. Saying? But um, when you connect your identity to it, at least your reputation is at risk. Okay. If you okay, uh, steal information or if you, so what we educate the search engines on, what we educate the social media platforms on, what we educate the policymakers on is that we say, the more accountability you take, the higher information should rank or the further it could travel on social media. The more transparency you bring, the higher information should rank. Yeah. Okay. I see. I see. So, um, so it's interesting you say people can, um, attach their identity to information that they have out there and can build kind of a reputation uh, based around that identity. I, I find that idea, you know, interesting. I hope, you know, people will, um, you know, uh, listen to, to the podcast, for example, if, uh, if, if the information they're getting on the podcast is good. Do you think that all of those identities have to be um, tied to a single person? Could people have kind of anonymous identities? Like, could there be anonymous accounts or accounts that are mixtures of people that, that could also get, um, that could also build reputation over time. Yeah, for sure. So there, there's a lot of work being done in the open source identity space. There's a whole space called self-sovereign identity, and you can think of all sorts of identity providers. It could be a, a school sending out certificates. It could be a government. It could be Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, there's a use case for all sorts of identity providers. Another interesting technology in the blockchain space is zero knowledge proof. So you can say, hey, I want to see information from someone with at least a certificate from this kind of university, but it's not necessarily necessary for them to reveal their name or their uh so you can there are all sorts of meta information uh from a person you can filter on but yeah without necessarily revealing their name and their uh, address information does so, that make sense yeah i think so 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 what you're saying is that instead of you know instead of thinking of it as like downloading a, a database of, of people and filtering on what you want the zero knowledge proofs can kind of give you what you want without having to actually download all that specific information so you wouldn't necessarily know who uh, who it is, but you'd know they have a certain attribute. 
for example, and um, my grandma, she suffers uh, dementia. What we can, what, what I envision is a world where you can say, hey, for her, only websites with or only information can reach her with a certain level of uh, accountability taken from these organizations, from this uh, persons. You can make the threshold for information that can reach her very high. Um, so. The, the filtering on what information can reach you, can uh, show up in your timelines, is really something you can configure on a personal level, if you want to. Yeah, with the identity thing, I was thinking about, you know, some, someone like Satoshi Nakamoto himself, who basically put out Bitcoin on a, you know, on a, uh, on presumably a fake identity, uh, you know, but if, if someone were to sign those, uh, early coins, um, they would have uh, a very, you know, people would listen to what that person has to say. <laughs> yeah, so, but th the thing is, there are use cases for uh, anonymous information. There are use cases for right. uh, pseudonyms. So um, all must be able to be published on the internet, but one of the core problems in misinformation is anonymous opinions going viral hmm. so hmm. Uh, and that's w one of the things you can avoid by saying hey there must be a certain level of accountability before information can go viral for information that matters like news people base their voting behavior based on news so news in many cases is important information government information is important information terms and conditions in e-commerce is important information for that kinds of information it matters uh, to have a sender that takes accountability for information. Right. So what about like, so right now you have, uh, you know, the, the good folks at Twitter and Facebook deciding <laughs> which news goes viral in many cases. Uh, you know, I read the side sidebar on Twitter. It's clearly, uh, you know, it's clearly a, a group in there. And, and I kind of like know the types of people who are in there who are deciding, you know, what, 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 what goes what goes on over there? Um, I, I, I don't know, like, um, what's the alternative? What the, yeah, so the, the problem is um, we did research to the state of misinformation. And what, what, what we learned is that people are overconfident in their ability to spot fake news. And mm. um, they, some were confident that they could spot it, but um, what, so much and accidentally. And I'll, I'll let you continue, but that's that. That's the main issue with these 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 uh, these social media platforms and these these fact checkers is they're like, well, we'll spot spot fake news for you, and we're just we're going to be good at it because we're pretty smart. Yeah. So. It, it, it's a hard thing. 86% of all Europeans have fallen for fake news at least once. And that's just the people who know that they have fallen for it. And um, one of the other things that we learned in our research is that uh, two thirds of the respondents, they would support regulation that made it a crime for people and organizations to knowingly create and share fake information. This topic is super hard because there must be a judgment somewhere on what is fake or what is not. So uh, it has all sorts of uh, new problems that come up around it. But in general, the public wants 
fake news or intentional disinformation campaigns to be uh, to be to be seen as a crime. What the alternative is to uh, just seeing the trending information is making transparency and accountability. So how did information change over time and who's the center of information? Kind of a precondition for information and not for all information. So there are plenty of people who wants to have the trending topics as their main guide to social media, but there must be an option to say, oh, I only want to see information that comes from real people. Like in, that's how information works in the real world. I can see, oh, this really, this is Max. I can talk to him or I don't like him. So I don't talk to him, but we make the internet through timestamping in an open source way about human to human communication if you want to. Uh, cool. So what? So tell me what like WordProof is doing to to bring this about. What what are you guys working on now? Yeah. So we make tools integrating with social media with all publishing platforms to uh, automatically timestamp information at the moment of publishing. So um, in the Netherlands, that's where we started the uh, the company. We work with two out of out of the three biggest publishers in the Netherlands. They timestamp all their um, articles right at the moment of publishing. Furthermore, we work with search engines. There's a first small search engine which committed and said, hey, from uh, the end of Q2, we label information in search results that has been timestamped. And um, optionally, later on, uh, after the first experiments we do together, they can uh, offer the opportunity to filter, hey, we want timestamped information to be ranked higher than non-timestamped information. So we do all sorts of collaborations with search engines. Uh, today, over uh, over 3 million articles are timestamped uh, from quality news outlets and uh, yeah, making timestamping tools available to uh, all tooling to, uh, to publish with and to all social media platforms, to all search engines. That's the main focus of WordProof. So you could, so, I mean, someone can timestamp documents on any blockchain. Like I could, I could add on a Bitcoin transaction a, uh, uh, you know, a, a hash of a document that I've timestamped. I could do it on the Ethereum blockchain. Is there a certain um, blockchain or, or 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 tech that you prefer for this, or are you kind of agnostic? Do you like, do you scour all the blockchains for any any? time stamping scheme like how does it how, how does that work yeah so we're a blockchain agnostic company we're a blockchain agnostic movement otherwise it's super hard to get a to get it standardized and make it part of the language of search engines and social media we started working on the eos blockchain we support ethereum blockchain soon we will support uh, bitcoin blockchain as well and uh, the most important thing is that you have for example on eos Transactions are super cheap and super mm. fast. In news, it matters who was the first one to publish information. If you're one minute earlier or 10 seconds earlier than, than another news outlet, you get 30 to 50% of all the traffic on, on that topic. So it matters to be able to prove who was first. So the EOS blockchain really made sense there as they have block times every half a second. Wow. Um, we have governments who say- I didn't even know that. Yeah. So, and and that's that's 
super useful for the for this use case. And what what it does is for small platform platforms in news, all small platforms are kind of angry and unhappy with the fact that Google crawls bigger platforms more often than small platforms. So through timestamping, there's a way to prove who was first to protect your scoops. All scoops in news often are broken. News often is broken locally, but the big platforms, they get the rewards as they got crawled more often. So true timestamping, being small matters again. So do you think that, so, uh, so right. So, so do you think it gives uh, small outlets a, um, at least a temporary advantage if they can uh, timestamp their information? For sure, and not only temporary, it's it's the most, uh, Bitcoin makes money sound. There's There's no harder money than Bitcoin. And that's what we do to content. It makes, it makes, it verifiable by human and machines who was the first one to publish uh, a certain fact can i timestamp uh, episodes of the podcast for sure and i think you should <laughs> well, I, well i don't know how to do that <laughs> there's there's uh, there are certain ways so i do 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 you have a wordpress website for example uh, where you publish the episodes as well yeah i, I have a squarespace uh, website Okay, we don't have a Squarespace um, integration yet, but that's a matter of time. Um, okay. If you have WordPress, really in five minutes, you can set it up. There's a free plan with 10 yeah, times I mean, a month. Yeah, the, 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 the website also has, I mean, you know, I also have an RSS feed for the, uh, the podcast. I don't know if that, that does it. I mean, they all have RSS feeds, but. There, uh, there's, yeah, if you, you, you're, an engineer, right? So there's yeah. there's an API, so you can easily build something on our API, uh, which makes timestamping automatically. And it's a matter of time before there are all sorts of communities, uh, open source communities, uh, proprietary communities. We will uh, that are working on WordProof integrations, on timestamp integrations. For example, there will be an integration with a Drupal content management system done by the community. There, um, Shopify integration will launch uh, in Q. Too. So there, are, yeah, it's an open, uh, open ecosystem. All right, cool. Well, I'll check it out um, uh, when I can because uh, you know anything to to sort of um, you know be, be at the forefront here in the local maximum is a is a good thing to do. Um, anything, uh, anything you'd like to add to wrap up? And also, please uh, let the audience know where we can find out more. Yeah. So um, especially. What we see is big publishers are big publishers and small publishers are uh, are are starting to timestamp because what they see is once search engines recognize the power of a timestamp and embed it in their algorithms, it makes sense that you were first doing it because the timestamp place today is the same as you place in a year from now. Um, so it really makes sense to start early. It's like buying your beautiful domain name 20 years ago. So uh, it makes sense to start timestamping today, whether you're a small a player, a big player. And uh, yeah, two places to check out. Firstly, there's the initiative, the nonprofit we do on education on timestamping. That's thetrustedweb.org. And wordproof.com is the place of the company. So um, yeah, check it out. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, D-A-L-A-N-S, Delance. And uh, yeah, we'd love to stay in touch. 
All right. All this will be on the show notes page. Sebastian, thanks for coming on the show. Max, thanks for inviting me. Pleasure. All right. So my question to you is, do you think that we will see um, that uh, level of time stamping and the adherence to it in our social networks and our news feeds um, in our lifetime or in the, in the near future? What do you think? Head on to our locals to register your opinion. That's local or, or that's uh, maximum.locals.com. I want to hear from you, from you on that. I also want to hear from you on our next issue which is decentralized finance, because, you know, there are some people who say that uh, decentralized finance is the future. This is how everything's going to be done. There are some people who say, hey, you don't really need a blockchain for this stuff. And um, this, uh, this, uh, you know, th this isn't as big as some people are saying. I want to hear what you think on that, because, hey, I don't know what the future is going to hold. I don't know how these things are going to play out. That's kind of the fun of it. Um, I'm going to give you a rundown of what I've learned about it and where I think DeFi adds value. So first of all, what is decentralized finance? Uh, decentralized finance is financial instruments on the blockchain. Uh, and I'll give an example in a minute, but you know, the prime example is getting a loan, for example. So why would you want to get a loan on the blockchain? Now, I looked into this. I'm not, I'm not an expert in this stuff. I don't work in finance, or I guess I'm reading a lot about this stuff now. All of a sudden, it's a lot more interesting to me than it was uh, you know, 20 years ago when I graduated from college, and people are like, you want to go into finance? I'm like, yeah, boring. Now, all of a sudden, it's, uh, it's fascinating. Um, but, the, but the question is, why would you want to have a loan that goes on a blockchain? So some of you might have heard of... Uh, so, so first of all, it's not the type of loan that I am familiar with. That cannot be done on the blockchain, and I'll tell you why in a second. But, so the type of loan I'm familiar with, and probably the type of loan that we're all familiar with, is something like a student loan or a credit card. You know, you take out loans for go to college, and then you pay it back over time. They, they know who you are. They know how to get you if you're not paying your loans. Uh, I've taken out an unsecured personal loan once, um, and, you know, you have to pay, uh, pay it back to the bank over time. Um, so the reason why you can't get that on these types of blockchains is because these loans are anonymous. So you can't, you know, you can't just give someone money anonymously anywhere in the world and expect them to pay it back. So you actually have to put collateral up to get that loan. It's a very specific type of loan, but it's actually, you know, it could be something similar to, say, a, a mortgage or, or, or a home loan or something like that, where your home is collateral, so the bank can uh, repossess your home if you don't pay the loan back, and so that uh, assumes that you'll pay the loan back. In this case, the collateral is some other crypto asset. So it could be, um, for example, it could be just Bitcoin. You put up Bitcoin, and in return, you receive uh, you receive a stable coin in dollars. You you know, so th th that's a, a well, I'll get to that in a second. But let's say you, you you get dollars. The dollars are worth less than the Bitcoin you put in. But once you pay the dollars back, you can get your Bitcoin back. And um, you know, there are things that have to go on. If, for example, Bitcoin dives in price, and now all of a sudden. Uh, the Bitcoin is worth less than the dollars that you have out, 
then they can just, uh, you know, they have a margin call. They could just repossess your Bitcoin all at once before it drops too low. Sometimes for the lender, you know, there's a risk, there's a gap risk. If Bitcoin just drops precipitously immediately and all of a sudden it's worth far less than what everybody, everybody's collateral is worth far less than how much they borrowed, then you're kind of out of luck as a lender because the person can't, you, you can't repossess their Bitcoin and get your dollars back. It just won't work. So um, those, uh, those gap risks seems like they don't come up very often, but I wonder how they handle that on the blockchain. It's, it's, it's possible to handle it. Usually it's something like, hey, once Bitcoin gets within 15% of what the lender has out, then it will get repossessed. Or the, the lender can put more Bitcoin in. But now, there's also the question as the lender, why would you want to do this? Because, hey, you have that Bitcoin. Bitcoin, it's not like having a house where you want to take out a home loan uh, or, or mortgage. You, know, you have the Bitcoin, you just sell it for dollars and get the dollars you want. And so it's really the type of thing where Maybe you don't want to sell your Bitcoin right away because you think it's going to go up or because there are tax consequences you don't want to have to face, so you can borrow dollars uh, from that. Now, that already reduces the types of loans that make sense uh, by, by quite a bit. So you can't, get, uh, you, know, you, you can't do student loans on this thing. So uh, another thing that reduces it quite a bit is that uh, you know, there are a lot of Bitcoin companies that give you Bitcoin loans, but it's not on a blockchain. It's just, you know, it's just standard. A company does it. One company that does it is BlockFi. BlockFi, you, you give them Bitcoin, they hold it as collateral, and they'll lend you dollars. I believe Coinbase, which just went public, they do the same thing as well. Uh, and, uh, and a number of companies do this. So why would you want this on a blockchain? And so... Now, now you think where there's like more overhead. You know, it's it's there are more costs to it. You can't call up someone if something goes wrong. So why would you want to do it? Um, so th there are reasons. First of all, if you're using these companies, then these companies are you know they they have to follow the laws in in their country, and they have to know who you are, and they have to um, they have to kind of vet who you are. Whereas if you have these loans in an open blockchain where it's just run automatically and these margin calls are happening automatically and you know, it automatically calculates the correct amount of, uh, of, of collateral you need to get the loan, then anyone in the world can lend and anyone in the world can get a loan. So from the lending side, you know, it sort of means, okay, you can, that, that's one way you can get kind of a rate of return on your crypto assets if, you're, uh, if you wanna uh, loan it out and uh, you know, uh, and, and you know, receive something else in collateral uh, in the meantime. You know, you could do that. On, on the other hand, you could also, uh, if you if if you want to take out a loan, if you're a lender, let's say you don't have access to BlockFi. Let's say you don't have access to Coinbase. Let's say you don't have access to a, a company that does this. Maybe you're in a country where these companies don't operate. Maybe. Um, and maybe, and I'm not saying this is a good thing, maybe you're not legally allowed to do this. Maybe you've been uh, you know, blocked out of the, maybe you're an outlaw. Maybe you've been blocked out of the financial system. Now, it could be that you're up to no good, and I'm going to get to that in a second. But are there people who would want to have this kind of anonymous loan on the blockchain? Uh, and I, yes, I think there are cases. Um, some you might think are good. Some you might think are not so good. I definitely think there are cases that are good where people who are, you know, don't have access to the traditional uh, financial system, um, and then they start, like, you know, increasing their Bitcoin stash, and they want uh, stablecoin in their own country, and they can, they can 
get that loan out, maybe, uh, maybe that is uh, something that's valuable to them. Uh, so I do think that uh, that, is, that is the type of loan that, 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 that there is definitely a use case for this, in, in my opinion. Uh, but it's not every type of loan. It's, that, that's the one thing that I had to understand and get into the mindset of. Maybe this is obvious to some people, but like I think of as, as a loan like, I don't have any money, and I need money right now, and I'll get money later, and then I'll give you the money later. No, no, no. This is a case where you have the money right now, you just want a different type of money, and you don't want to sell one for the other directly. Speaking of selling one for the other directly, that's another thing that you could do on these blockchains, which is a decentralized... Um, uh, uh, exchange of crypto assets. So let's say I want to exchange Bitcoin for Ethereum, or I want to exchange Ethereum back to Bitcoin. Well, I could just use any number of uh, you know exchanges that are online. Or now uh, people are uh, developing DEXs, decentralized exchanges, where you can exchange one for the other, um, and it's it sort of all take gets taken care of automatically on the blockchain. The only, the, there, there are downsides to this too. Um, you know, maybe it's, it could be more expensive. It could be that, hey, if something goes wrong, uh, at least if there's an exchange that's reputable, I can hold the exchange accountable. But I, if it's just uh, an algorithm on the blockchain, it will do what it does and, uh, and then you're out of luck. But if you want access to the financial services and you are locked out of the centralized financial services, that's something that you might want to get. It's something that uh, Shapeshift has used recently. So Shapeshift was a, or is a, uh, a website or, or a cryptocurrency company that allowed you to exchange one type of uh, cryptocurrency for another. And, uh, you know, they recently, and, and the cool thing about it was you didn't have to log in. You just said, hey, I want, uh, I want coin B in this address, and, they'll, and I want to pay for it in coin A. And they'll be like, okay, uh, uh, give us coin A in that address, and then we'll send you coin B in this address, and then it works. And uh, over time, they realized, well, that doesn't work with the regulatory structure in the United States, and so uh, we're going to have to, you know, ask for your identification. We're going to have to ask for, uh, you know, you to log in. We're going to have to ask for your social security number. Some crypto users don't like that. Now, I'll get into a minute. Maybe there's a reason why there are some of those regulations that, but uh, with the decentralized exchanges, you don't need any of that. And so, are there people who want to do it that way and say, "Hey, I don't want to identify myself"? Um, just the question of are there people who want to do that? The answer is yes. Of course, there are people who want to do that. So these decentralized exchanges will survive. How big they will be in relationship to other exchanges is something that you know remains to be seen. So what else can you do besides loans and, and DEXs? So one that I mentioned before is stable coins. So, and also uh, you know, derivatives. And uh, so these, these are things where uh, they're oftentimes produced by a, like a, a company or a consortium or a group or something. And they'll say, hey, we have a whole bunch of dollars here and we're gonna use these dollars to back our cryptocurrency, which is uh, which e each each value of this crypto dollar represents one U.S. dollar that we actually have, and we can sh you could trust us that we have it. We'll show you that we have it, whatever. And so, the benefit of that now sometimes pe people always people in crypto always like to look at this like, okay, where I want to trust as few people as possible. I think ultimately you always have to trust someone. But in this case, you do have to trust the, uh, the group that underlies 
that asset. But on the other hand, when you own that asset, you can trade it back and forth on a, on a blockchain and you know you could you don't have to have permission for that. You don't have to per have permission from the company to uh, to uh, to exchange these these dollars. One is GUSD, the, the Gemini dollar. One is Tether, uh, for example. And then there are some you know you could have some based on gold. So let's say I want to sell my Bitcoin for digital gold, which is some people say Bitcoin is digital gold, but I'm talking about you know let's say a cryptocurrency that literally represents someone's gold. Uh, you could have a group that does that. I, there must be, or and you know you can then exchange Bitcoin for gold or silver or whatever, and then you can have you know kind of a <laughs> a blockchain-based commodities exchange, which is a very interesting idea. I mean, you know, this could almost disrupt uh, all of the exchanges in, that that are you know all, all the centralized centralized exchanges in the world right now. Um, but I kind of want to know, will it? What, what do you think? I mean, again. Go on the locals page and let me know because is this going to be something that exists alongside the centralized exchanges? Uh, let's say a commodities exchange, or is this something that will ultimately replace it, or is this something we'll just fizzle out? We don't need it. So that's something that um, I'd like to know. What else can you do? Um, another one is so. So I read a book. It's called How to DeFi. It's by Coin Gecko, and uh, which is which is not a person. It's a it's a group of people. But I will put this book up on the website. Another thing that they're doing in decentralized finance is, uh, is fund trading. So you can buy an asset that represents a fund that's trading a bunch of cryptocurrencies where the people there are trying to make more money for you. Um, maybe it'll work, maybe it'll not, maybe it won't work, maybe it'll be the kind of thing where you were just better off holding Bitcoin to begin with. Who knows? Uh, another one is you know insurance, where you have one party uh, that sort of uh, or maybe a, 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 a few parties that vote that say this is what happened, and then you bet on whether that would happen or not. Let's say for the purposes of insurance, and then you know you get a payout. So again, I think you cannot replace uh, all of insurance like that because you know a, a lot of insurance has to have you know hey uh, I've got to understand you know what happened in this situation. What is the insurance policy like? Car insurance, like hey. Uh, you know, there was damage to my car uh, because of something out of my control. Um, you know, should I get the payout? And then, you know, you have to look at, okay, wh what actually happened in this person's case? And, you know, you, you need actual humans on the ground to do that in individual cases. But if you, let's say, want to buy insurance against, um, I don't know, uh, you know, let's say you want... Um, well, well, an easy one would be, what's the insurance? Uh, not an easy one, but an easy one to implement would be, hey, I, I, I want to bet that the hash rate of Bitcoin or Ethereum doesn't go too high or something like that. That's something that's in the system, so you could actually program that in. But another, and I talked about this in episode five with uh, Christian Lundqvist, uh, so that's kind of a good one to, to check out because a lot of the Ethereum stuff really was... Uh, you know, turned into a lot of what he was talking about. There was decentralized finance. We just didn't call it that then. Um, so anyway, uh, you could do like global events. Like, will there be a, a major hurricane in the Caribbean this year 
or something like that, and then you know people will would vote, or will there be a recession this year? I can buy buy something against that. I don't know. Um, but another thing, another type of, which you, which you could use as insurance, but another type of betting is an options market, a decentralized options market. So I've heard of a couple of options, uh, Bitcoin options trading platforms. One is Ledger X that's used in the United States. Another is Deribit that you could use in the UK. These are centralized exchanges. You know, you could buy call and put options. You could sell call and put options if you're willing to back it with your Bitcoin. But hey, what if we want to buy options to trade one cryptocurrency against another? Remember, an option is the right to make a trade, a specific trade. I'm going to trade this much of coin A for that much of coin B on this date. And I, uh, I just want the option to do it. I don't want to necessarily do it, but I want to know that, uh, that I have the option to do it. And then somebody else on the other side will say, okay, well, I have, I have coin B if you want to make this trade. So you're going to pay me a little bit now. I'm going to lock up this coin B in the blockchain. And then on that day, you're allowed to call the option and you are allowed to uh, make that exchange and give me the specified amount of coin A for it. Otherwise, I'll just take my coin B back and keep the premium. So that's a way that somebody can make uh, a, a profit on their currency, a little bit of a rate of return. Uh, another way they can rate, make a rate of return, I mean, the first way is the loans. There's a, there's, a bun, there's a bunch of different ways you can make rates of return. They're, they're also talking about like bundling these things together and then giving you coins that make interest and that sort of stuff. So people are experimenting. You know, they have all these cryptocurrencies and people are just experimenting with ways of doing different trades and getting different rates of return. And the question is, what can we do in a decentralized fashion? And that is the big question of the, the age. And that's the question that uh, I want to put to you. So <laughs> let me know, maximum.locals.com. Hope to have a good discussion on that. Uh, again, one of the things that's really fascinating about what's going on with this is that everybody in the world will have access to these tools. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, even what you are. You know, you could have uh, computers trading these things, machines trading these things. So um, one of the one of the consequences, and it can't be stopped. So one of the consequences of this is that like know your customer goes out the window. And I think there are some people who will say this is a negative development because you know there's a reason why some people are shut out of the financial system. You know if you're if you're some kind of a, a terrorist or a, or or a uh, you know a, 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 a illegal smuggler or whatever, um, then, uh, you know, or some kind of criminal, you know, you're trying to, uh, you're trying to, uh, kill people for profit. You're, you're in the mafia or something like that. All of them will have access to this financial system. So, you know, is that, is that good or not? Well, I mean, I also think there are some people who are shut out of the financial system who shouldn't be shut out of it, whether they're from a country where they don't belong. Maybe they're also being targeted in that country as like, you know, the, the country calls them a terrorist, but really they're just a kind of a, a political dissenter. And so, you know, hey, this could legalize political dissent under, in, in regimes where they're, they're not allowing that and they're trying to cut those people out of the financial system. This gives people a way out. So it's a, it is a great equalizer. And um, I don't know, maybe the world will be better without the, you know, where, where all these things can be done anonymously and globally and, um, you know, and, 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 and without the ability to, to censor capital 
going back and forth around the world of different types. So, um, but I, I so th- that's kind of what I hope. I think it's not without some downsides. Like there will be some da- downsides to that, but I think it will be more upside than downside. So either way, it's coming, and I think it's pretty exciting, and it's something that uh, I would like to follow as we uh, as we continue to follow these stories on the local maximum. So uh, uh, you can also ch- so you can check out this book. I'll put it on the. I'll put it on localmaxradio.com slash 167. It's called How to Defy by CoinGecko. Also, a good wallet for this is Meta, is the MetaMask wallet. You could download that on um, on your iPhone or Android, and you can try a lot of these things out. And I, If you're interested, I suggest you get the book and you try it out in small amounts and, and see how it goes. But uh, obviously... Be careful, people, because it's a lot easy. It's it's uh, it's very easy to screw these things up. But if you do experiment with small amounts, even if you screw it up, then you'll learn a lot, and you that that knowledge will uh, will I I know be extremely valuable to you in the future. All right, so that's it for today. Next week, well, I have a couple things in, in, the, uh, in the pipeline. I have, a, have an interview on augmented reality, which I'm really excited about you know, in an urban context, but maybe I'll fit in a news update with Aaron in the meantime. We'll see. All right. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at maximum.locals.com. Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.